0: The combination of making beautiful media and allowing that to create change, like when we passed Medicaid expansion in Oklahoma, and then it was finally through the legislature and just like 100,000 people got access to healthcare, To be part of that team is such a gift. It feels worth the hustle because when you land and you do a good job, you can make really great
1: change. Hello, this is The Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today is Kelly Gibson, a longtime Democratic media consultant who's building a new women only collective called Stronger Than Communications for her consulting and for her associated experts. I was curious to hear about her career, her previous partnerships, and why she was trying a new business model. If you're interested in political entrepreneurship and players in the world of democratic political consulting, you'll want to listen. So after a word from our sponsor, my interview with Kelly Gibson of Stronger Than Communications.
0: Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm okay. How are you?
1: I'm not too bad. So, Kelly, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography?
0: Sure. I'm Kelly Grace Gibson. Um, I have been working in political communications since the 2004 cycle at a combination of different consulting firms. For the beginning portion of my career, I was more sort of in the production side. I would say I sort of apprenticed the work as a, as a media consultant, slightly different path than other media consultants take in the space. And over the years, really try to understood where the best of advertising can overlap with political persuasion and how do people consume advertising and how can that translate into how voters consume advertising. I've been at uh, maybe four different firms over those 17 years um, and January started my own shop called Stronger Than Communications, which is all female political communications collective.
1: If you started something like that, that, that sort of new, exciting, and the place that sort of you wanted to take your career to in the long run.
0: Yeah. What I realized over the last 15 years, 15, 17 years of doing this work is there are lots of incredibly innovative, smart people in the space. A lot of people start in politics because they have some kind of passion for change on both sides of the aisle for that matter. And the way our industry has done political consulting over that period of time is sort of hiring these different groups of people that each fill a lane, that have a job to do, that have a product. And deliver on that product sort of in a silo, in their own lane. And on the races that I've worked on where there's been strategic collaboration, I have often found that both the products improve and the outcomes improve. It's been a fun thing over over my career. I, I don't just work in one kind of political campaigns. I work on the hard side, like lots of people for, for candidates up and down the ballot. I work on independent expenditures. I do lots of ballot measure issue advocacy work and some sort of member organization communications. So there's lots of learning to be had across those kinds of races and lots of people to meet. So I thought to myself, there's lots of smart women in the space, lots of women that hustle really hard. And if we combined our expertise and our strengths on a project to project basis, we could likely have better outcomes. I'm the kind of person that sort of pushes boundaries a little bit.
1: The road that you took to the apprenticeships that you had, I mean, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to college? How did you enter the space originally?
0: Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Buffalo, New York. My father owned a stainless steel manufacturing company. I thought my future was to run that. I went to college for engineering um, with that in mind. When I was a sophomore in college, he sold the company, thank goodness, because I couldn't pass engineering to save my life. I was not meant to be an engineer. And then I got to say, well, what else is out there? There wasn't a lot of um, options before then. And so in the sort of the last two years of college, I just studied everything I could. And I did some political science classes, which I really liked. And I was doing women's studies at my school. That was the first year they had women's studies. What school? I went to Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Um And, and I got out of college and, and thought to myself, well, what do I do now? When I was in high school, I'd come to DC on a handful of these leadership camps, which lots of high school kids sort of descend on the nation's capital in the summer to learn, you know, how laws get made and whatnot. And so I sort of knew that this was a place where, where important things happen. And I had organized my college through the Women's Studies program to do the March on Washington, um, which was the pro-choice March um, in two thousand. I don't know, two, maybe. So I was like, well, I would like to get a job in choice that seemed to fit. As an aside, I was raised by very conservative Republican parents. Um, So the idea of becoming a progressive and working for a choice organization was an interesting one. And I got a job at the Pennsylvania chapter, Lehigh Valley, being in their comms department. Um, It was when the Bush administration had an international gag order on reproductive rights funding. So I was ghostwriting things for the local papers. And And then thought, well, I'll just move to Washington and get a job at Planned Parenthood National. Like, it was going to work like that. And it was uh, the four cycle, and there were none of those jobs to be had. Uh, So I got hired for the season answering phones at a media firm. And I didn't know it was a job. I think with Citizens United, advertising, political advertising had changed a lot. So I didn't really know there was an industry around political advertising, but fell in love with it sort of immediately. What was that firm? It was called Legan's Hamburger Stone when Marty Stone was a media consultant once upon yeah. kind of a time, and um,
1: and Don Legan's,
0: who yeah, Don Legan's, who went on to be at um, Planned Parenthood's political arm. I think I got the job because I was coming from Planned Parenthood. Thank goodness, Sarah Flowers gave me my first job, and now she's got her own media firm called Seventy Six Words. So there's a lot of internal movement. But at th- the end of the cycle came on, there were three of us that had sort of temp jobs. They reinterviewed to see who would stay on, and I kept the job. And then in the sixth cycle, they, t- they asked if I'd want to run the production department. I didn't know anything about production. So I just jumped into lots of professional development. I took classes on editing and filming and directing and on set, um, which was kind of them to sort of allow me to have that sort of experience between cycles.
1: That sounds like a pretty exciting, like growth part of your career to pick up all those things at once and to be able to apply them to something real.
0: Yeah, I what I realized about myself is that this space fits my sort of natural abilities, if you will. I am more a mile wide and an inch deep kind of person. And I loved this idea that we were creating a product that had to explain a lot about complicated things to busy Americans in a compelling way. It felt like a real puzzle, which I liked very much. And so in, six, in 2006, I ran that production department. We had three Senate races, Tester, Cardin, and Stabenow. We had lots of house races and ballot measure work. It was an amazing experience. I mean, deep, deep end kind of stuff. And I screwed up so many things. I sent a candidate to the wrong set and I didn't deliver a tape in time to upload the ad and all sorts of stuff. But it sort of solidified my love for the But
1: I, I bet a few things went right also.
0: Yeah, well, I'm here today <laughs> all these years later. So something <laughs> must have gone right.
1: Yeah. From that sort of lens, from the production side, what were you learning about American politics and how the game is played?
0: Well, I think it gave me a unique, uh, a unique view, if you will. What I felt I was learning about American politics was what voters' tolerances were for what was happening. Unlike building a campaign and understanding a budget and building out a field program, what I understood is how do you make compelling media that stands up against corporate advertising that can capture the attention of somebody who's busy? And are we communicating not only the right, messages but in the right ways. The way I have always approached my work is I don't ever think about the candidate first. I always think about the voters first. And unless we can really connect with voters, you're not going to compel them to do anything come election day. And I think always being from the advertising side, from that from the media and the and the what's happening visually, what the audio is, what are the subconscious cues about color, sound, pace, all that kind of stuff. I was really learning about what worked and what didn't work. And the way I do my job still is I I write and direct and produce all my ads, sit with editors that I've been with, with 10 years and say, well, try that shade of teal or try that different beat. Can we land the cut on this? So I feel very intertwined with the universes that are, are fundamental to the success of any given ad.
1: I had a conversation earlier with Hal Malchow. Oh yeah. You may know, <laughs> who was making the argument that Because the electorate has changed and become so much more partisan and so much more polarized that there's diminishing returns to advertising, that people just aren't movable. And he's advocating for more advertising around party and about trying to actually move people from one party or unaffiliated to a party. What, What do you think of that notion?
0: I've had lots of those conversations too, mostly about is persuasion worth it? Is anybody persuadable? Can we persuade? This is a funny thing to hear from a media consultant, but I don't think television is the answer to winning elections anymore, especially in swing districts. I think it's about using every tool in our toolbox to create a connection with a voter, hold on to the connection, and then cash in on the connection come election day. So that includes texting programs and door knocks and house parties and phone programs and digital, you know, the whole everything. And that's a little bit why I wanted to try out this collective idea, because If if there is a field organizer on the ground that has people at the doors every day learning things from voters, how if even if they hate your candidate, what words are they using to hate your candidate? What words are they using that they want from your candidate? All of that sort of authentic local verbiage should be integrated into every voter contact tool we have. This sort of outdated concept that consultants all get on weekly calls and we all talk, talk, talk because we're so smart and we have all these things to say. What consultants should be doing on those calls is listening. We should bring in super volunteers and the young field ops that are getting all of this feedback from volunteers and the texting program. What are people saying? Like When people respond to a text because they're disappointed, those are words we should know and use. So to your question about hell, I think there is a level of not making a preconception about what voters can and can't do or will and won't do. It's our job to do it better and smarter and newer and to fit into their lives and not ask them to fit into ours.
1: That seems like a quite a development from the previous model of, I don't know, male-led uh, expertise-centric media firms with large egos and large budgets.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not telling anybody anything new. It's all information everyone knows what women do things differently than men, just naturally. Not that women can't do what men do and men can't do what women do. It's inclinations are different. And yeah, the budgets will always be bigger for television, right? Television is the lowest cost per eyeball. But the highest cost to entry medium we have. And it works. Television advertising works. It just no longer works for politics as a standalone tool. It has to be layered, and it has to be layered with intelligence. When I'm talking to people, I say, Did you have you what's your recently bought? Like a TV or a computer or a pair of shoes? Did you buy that because you saw one ad on television? Like, is that how you made your decision? Or is it because somehow you were having all these inputs that you were making subconscious decisions about what your decision-making structure looked like. We're selling ideas, we're selling people, we're selling um, hope, we're selling action. And if we think we don't need to sell it in a modern way, then we're fooling ourselves.
1: So how did your career move forward after you ran production?
0: I stayed in media the whole time, um, which is also an unusual reality. So I I ran that production department and then I split off with one of the partners of that old firm, Martin Hamburger, and then became a partner at a firm that the two of us sort of put together um, called Hamburger Gibson Creative. And that was the last firm that I was at. And what was great about that firm is that we were implementing digital persuasion sort of as soon as we had the tools to do it. Um, because we were working in all these different kinds of races. In the ballot measure space, funders don't care which consultant does which thing. It's not like they're they're not mired in this decision about does media do OTT or does digital do OTT or anything like that. What they want is, do you have the skills to execute a program that's going to get you a win? And if you can prove to, and we like you and you're smart and you have the skills to execute the program, go for it. The program's yours. So we've had we had this really great ability to build out a cross channel approach to to a lot of these races. My old firm we did almost all the marijuana legalization races. We didn't do Colorado or California or Washington, but we did the rest of them. And then last cycle I did Medicaid expansion in Oklahoma and Missouri. And we've done minimum wage. We've done education reform measures. What you learn at those races is how to talk to people about the issues, and the universe is bipartisan usually because. You know, especially in marijuana, libertarians love drug reform. So you just learned this ability to parse out universes and deliver specific messages that all fall under the umbrella of what you're doing on television. So people can can come to you through their own needs. On the candidate side, we need to apply some of that to how we talk to voters. And as I said a little while ago, we have to do so much listening about what our voters saying. What are they saying about defund? What are they saying about masks? What are they saying about the infrastructure package? Not what we think they're saying.
1: What did you learn about entrepreneurship in the space by going out with Martin Hamburger and forming your own firm and running that together? What were you learning about that from a different angle?
0: Yeah, it's sort of twofold. It's what you learn, what I've learned about running a successful shop internally and so much of that is about planning and building a good team and setting expectations and building a, a partnership. He and I were partners for, I don't know eight years or something like that. And what are you contributing and how are you building that out? And then secondarily, the entrepreneurship inside of political consulting, which is a whole different beast because there's so much movement. Things close and open and people combine and you have to re-navigate, what are we offering in the context of what everyone else is offering? Where are we standing out? Where do we need to grow? How do you need to move into opportunity? And you know this better than anybody from your experience, but this industry is not like other industries in that if you do a good job, you'll get hired. It's in concert with who do you know, what job do they have now, Are they in a hiring capacity? Have you helped them get work? How does the circle of network change and grow? And part of my intentionality around an all-female operation of senior women is I've been spending the last 10 years networking with women almost exclusively because I think there's not enough intentionality around women helping women get jobs. Um, And that just takes practice. That just takes a pipeline. That just takes strength and bravery because... There's so many expectations about how to make how to make a shop, how to grow a shop, and how to get hired. It's formulaic. So to push the boundary of that, you have to build a willing group of people around you.
1: Were the eight years of hamburger Gibson or Gibson Hamburger, whatever it was, were those good years?
0: They were great years, lots of growth, lots of finding joy inside of what we do. As I said earlier, people get into politics for purpose when they're young. And so reminding ourselves that that still has to be at the heart of what we're coming to work doing. And as you know, you work harder in this business, especially during election cycle, but all the time than basically any other job on the planet. I mean, you could be the candidate. That might be harder. But and these shops where you have 20 races or some of the other shops that have 35 races or whatever it is, you're working seven days a week, you know, whatever it is, 20 hours a day, which of course you're not, uh, feels like that. If you can't be reminded about why you're doing it, then you burn out.
1: What keeps you in the game? What is it that you lo- have liked about it along the way so much?
0: I really like political advertising, like telling a 30 second story about a person who, if elected, can make great change or an issue, if passed, could be fundamentally important to people's lives. I mean, it's unfair. There's no other job where you get to be creative and useful. And hustle, I am also live by the hustle. I'm ambitious. I'm sort of energized by people and the hunt and all that kind of stuff I'm sort of a natural entrepreneur, if you will. But the combination of making beautiful media and, and allowing that to create change. Like when we passed Medicaid expansion in Oklahoma, and then it was finally through the legislature over the summer and just like a hundred thousand people got access to healthcare. I mean, to be part of that team, it's is such a gift. It feels worth the hustle because the when you land and you do a good job you can make really great change
1: is there a an ad a campaign that like if you you know if you're going to play something at your funeral or something <laughs> or or some celebration oh god uh, my funeral's
0: going to be it, so depressing if they're running tv political ads well, you I'm know here. sometimes you want
1: you want to show the highlights we could put that in a different set no, of clothing no, no, yeah i'm just teasing do you have a favorite ad you made uh, along the way.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of this the ads that we made just for this Medicaid race I was just pointing out to was was really special and and maybe because we were in pandemic time, so I had two big races in Oklahoma this Medicaid expansion and I um I worked for a former congresswoman Kendra Horn who had a you know, the fight of her life. Unfortunately, it didn't go her way. And The other thing about Oklahoma media is really cheap. So you end up making so many ads. Um, but for the Medicaid expansion, it's this story of a woman who's pregnant and she lives in rural Oklahoma. Part of what was happening in Oklahoma is lots of rural hospitals were closing because they couldn't afford to stay open. And so you see her go into labor and her husband's packing her bags and they get in the car and there's a drone shot and she pulls up to a hospital and it's closed. Um, and then back to the street and then the car stops and you hear a baby crying and you know, it's, there was a tag for everything we can't risk losing. So there was a real story to that. There was some concern with the team about whether it was to this or to that, or can we really talk about pregnancy or all that sort of stuff? And At the end of the day, in order to engage Americans in democracy, we have to make them feel like it's important. That's our job. And we can't expect that they can prioritize something that that aggravates them all the time. So our job is to help them easily understand what the stakes are. I've made some candidate ads that um, that are, are really fun. for Congressman Patrick Murphy from, from Florida, we made a fun ad of him jogging. I mean, there's millions of ads of candidates jogging, but um, he was in a little park and the dolly was being pulled backwards and we were all running next to him. He had to memorize all his lines. And when he, when he nailed it, we were like, yeah, so... Part of them are great ads. Part of them are great experiences. You know, I've been to so many states and met so many voters and so many candidates. And, you know, you just realize that people want good in their communities, even if sometimes this country feels impossible.
1: You've been working of late in a country. I mean, you talk about democracy, where even the way the democracy works is in play, where it's under attack. It's just distressing, at least for me, beyond anything that I remember, what has it been like for you in the Trump era to be a media consultant?
0: Well, I have to say that probably part of the reason that I've stayed in this business so long is I'm a default optimist. I can't really help myself. Sometimes I wish I was more of a realist. So I suppose that I say that to say that nothing terrible can't be turned around with the right sort of advocates and um, engagement you know Trump was hard from so many levels obviously so disturbing about his attempt to yeah steal democracy to make the system somehow not work. He was terrible for women. It was bad, but what we saw come out of that I think is engagement like the amount of different organizations that are recruiting people to run for office. Did you see that every town just just launched a 10 million dollar program to recruit and train victims of gun violence to run for office? I mean that would be transformative. To, so over the next you know, decade, we get these people elected to state and local or mayor, or, and then eventually they're making federal law. So, I mean, the sad part is that it had to get terrible for people to en- engage and that we have engaged a group of people that support Trump's actions and feel like that is the way leadership should look. But when you think about corporate social responsibility, all of these big corporations that are investing now in voter registration and getting out the vote none of that would have probably happened without Trump is my guess. If things, you know, 40% of Americans would still vote and it would still be 65 plus, and it probably be white people and all that kind of stuff, white people and black women. And, and because we were in crisis, all of these different industries are, in, are encouraging registration and voter turnout. And, you know, I did work for an organization called I vote last cycle, where we were, talking about all the ways to vote the extension of the ways to vote which of course are under attack in a lot of places i understand that but that democracy can stretch and change it's not some monolithic thing that you need to respect or it doesn't work like it can it can answer the call and innovative passionate people come out to fix things i mean it's 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 really fun to watch and I'm really worried about the midterms. I think it's gonna be really hard for Democrats. The maps are gonna be hard, candidate recruitment is hard, holding on to the House, all these governors' races, I'm I'm scared that we won't swing back as far as we need to. But there's lots of really smart people up to the challenge. And I choose to believe that they'll work their asses off for some kind of change.
1: I hope your I hope your optimism pans <laughs> out on Always less optimistic than the next person. I wish I were more so, um, although I always do kind of in the back of my head feel pretty hopeful That's in good. the long run. Um, why did you you end the partnership? What happened that you both went separate directions?
0: Yeah, I think it was ju- it just ran its course. So I had worked with or for Martin for seventeen years, which is basically the entire my entire grown, grown up life, you know, with the exception of one job. And I'm just really committed to this women-centered model and growing into that space. It's it's my passion and purpose, and you can't do that with a white male partner. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't sort of suit each other. We left on really good terms and have had a very close friendship and will continue to. But I think If I'm sort of preaching that this industry is resistant to change, and I am not willing to change to sort of represent what I'm looking for, then that's the sort of a hypocrisy I'm unwilling to sign up for. So it was time to see what I could do. Where where do things bend? Where do I push to bend enough not to break anything? I can be as traditional as anyone wants me to be. But if you're somebody with a tough race, if you're a new candidate, if your map is confusing, like our approach is just the better approach.
1: So what is different then about your new firm versus your old firm or other firms built on an older model? What's different in what you produce? What's different in how you relate in the market? What's different in in how you organize internally?
0: Yeah. The fundamentals are much the same, right? Like we understand media markets and we can make television advertising, come up with good buys. And even more and more firms are now having a cross channel approach, um, which certainly I believe is the most important way. So digital offerings that um, complement your linear program with over the top television on top of that. I think where where it differs is um, extending message and stretch reach of that message beyond just video persuasion properties. So as I was mentioning earlier, I think the relationships between the field director and the comms person and the super volunteer and the media consultant or the digital media, the comms consultant is some of the most important because there is a this this complete need to understand what people are saying in their local voice, as I said earlier, what do they care about? How are they communicating their needs? And then where are they getting their information? In some places, it's relational organizing. So I don't know if you've heard of that woman, Katie Paris, who runs Red, Wine, and Blue. It started in Ohio. It's all it's all suburban women-to-women relational organizing. And she and I have had a bunch of conversations about how sometimes messages are easier to hear from somebody that looks or feels like you. If you're a suburban mom in one place, you can probably communicate with a suburban mom in another place. Or if you're a white one, a black one, Latinx. So understanding that just sort of uh, video waves coming off a device, a TV or an otherwise, it's not gonna really land in a memorable way unless you've created some kind of foundation. So in in the best kind of way, there are women who have sort of agreed to be part of this collective who come f- from all different kinds of political expertise, fundraisers and general strategists, buyers and filmmakers, digital buyers, influence, impact communicators, who all have different experiences that could benefit a comms program on a race. And so the way this thing is trying to work is... When there is an opportunity for work or to pitch something or talk to somebody about being hired, we talk and say, which of our expertise are the best combination? What team should we put together to, to help this campaign accomplish whatever they need to accomplish? And then we build out from tip to tail, like when you launch, it's not just a launch video that you need from me right? You need to understand what we're saying to the press. What are the tweets? What journalists are we tapping? Are we starting a texting program? What's your first 10 fundraising emails saying? And how can we amend all those things to make sure we're ditching the bad stuff and including the good stuff? And what do we learn from those to inform our follow-up social ad? And this constant reflection about what's working. So by the time we're spending, whatever, 800 points on TV in week five, that there, all these people already know what we're going to say. The TV's the cherry on top, and not the whole ice cream
1: sundae. I have to admit to being a little skeptical about the notion of doing it as a collective. Here's why. Um, and I've talked to at least two other collectives in politics, one in sort of design and one more in website building. So not creative, but not in, in, in where you are. And one of them I actually hired to build a website. And when I did, what I experienced was a lot of turnover among the practitioners within. And what felt like was a lot of difficulty in project managing that group. I didn't work with the design group. I think it's I mean, like it, there's a lot that sounds good about it. It sounds good that like you can get uh, a mid-career professional to do a part of something crucial that you might not have on a staff of a young firm. And if you can put that all together, I can imagine you could create great work. But from your perspective, from running a firm... How do you make sure you have the right people at the right time really committed when they have other commitments in the world and you don't control them by them being your employees?
0: The most obvious answer is that in everything that I'm hustling, it's my thing, so I'm doing all the hustling, is I'm the one that holds it all together, right? The always available, the um, sort of most senior strategist. You're the home. glue. I'm the glue. Yeah. The sort of dirty secret about media shops is they're all collectives. Because no media buyer, with the exception of a couple, is in-house. They're all they're all sub media buyers, and the editors are not on staff, and the digital buyers are not on staff. So many of those things are subbed out. It's just that they're not usually spoken about. That it's all under the umbrella of the of the firm. Will
1: Will you have some members of your firm besides yourself who are staff who are employees?
0: Potentially, yeah. yeah. I mean, this thing is still young, and we're still in pitch cycle, my my dream for it is that it becomes a hybrid of a traditional and a collective. A lot of what I learned, what I have been learning is that media consultants become the translator for all of these other things. They translate what the editors have done, or they translate what the production assistant, why they picked that music, or the biggest thing is they translate the media buy. I'm never going to know as much as the media buyers I work with. And so why not just invite them to be the strategist around the buy on the call. They have tons and tons of races because they are a vendor. So how do you get them to invest strategic time with your candidate? Give them more money. You pay them what they deserve. So I think there is a level of... How am I going to say this without becoming public enemy number one of all the media consultants? I think there is um, an inclination not to share the pot as much as it should be shared in order order for sort of everyone to have access to the knowledge. So I guess my two answers is I'm the glue. I pay people to show up. You know, the turnover wouldn't be, it wouldn't be as easy just not to show up on behalf of this collective. And then I think what, I think I'm always ever going to be as good as my name. I didn't name this thing Kelly Gibson Collective, but I'm still Kelly Gibson, the media consultant. It doesn't matter what you call your shop. So if you overpromise and underperform you're sunk. You're not going to get hired by anybody. So there's a level of having honest conversations with these women and then there's the legal, you know, there's there's collaborative contracts and all that kind of stuff.
1: What's an ideal client for you who like if you could land exactly who you wanted to to work for, who would it be and why?
0: I know it's so in my my dream client is a very unusual one, right? It's um It's a a hungry, young female candidate in a tough district. And let me tell you why. Because easy districts that are in nice square, you know, square boxes with one media market and um, an advantage in partisan registration, uh, the old formula will work there. And you don't need, why fix it if it's not broken? I think that's a reality in a lot of places. But in some of these new maps where maybe you have two markets or even three markets and there's lots of spill into other areas, or you have lots of households with split registration. So the men are Republican and the women are Democrat, or you have lots of new registrations in districts with a high percentage of non-white non-white voters, places where there's multiple languages. Those for me are the most interesting places to see how you can use innovation, modern technologies, advanced collaboration, interesting messaging, different kinds of research, like more qual than quant, because that's what we need. We get quantitative data from the national parties consistently. So if basically from the categorical standpoint, those buckets remain down to the district, our job is to understand how to talk about it, not what to talk about. So more than qual than quant. And, you know, I don't even care if they don't have a ton of money because At the end of the day, what we're going to be doing is putting together a really long voter contact program across mediums and not just digital or television. Texting programs with rich content, door walkers with iPads that can play something in the language that the voter is. So you're knocked on door and they say, you know, whatever is no habla inglés. Then you play a Spanish language video that's 10 seconds long and leave a, a lit piece with Spanish language. Those are the places that I'm most interested in understanding what the future of campaigning looks like. And I have, I joke, I've created a niche for myself, which is female candidates in hard to win districts. So my losing record is pretty high. My winning record is low, but I find I connect most with the staff in those places and really connect and democratic candidates that run in those places are generally, they work so hard. That's my dream candidate. And I also obviously really like the ballot measure stuff, communicating about issues and not trying to sell a person is, is a
1: delight when you've pitched this idea to fellow consultants, to campaigns and other organizations, how is it received?
0: It's a tough question. Um, I'm still working on how to talk about it the most effectively. Everybody does it differently. You know, some people that are now in positions of hiring that are like former field staff kind of people love it right? Because there is a level of which everyone brings to the table something that they've done in this business that they thought was really worked and, and is not used well enough. So I think there's sort of two pieces to it. So I think tactically, explaining to people that television ads are still important, and I'm still a person that can make them well. But partnering that with these other approaches could amplify the success of that of said television ad. And then the second is the business model, the collective. That's a little harder, and most and they
1: may I, and may, they may not even need to know it, right? I mean,
0: that's what a lot. That's a lot of feedback I'm getting. Yeah. So, yeah. so now I just talk about the kind of consultant I am. I'm a I, I'm a very high touch consultant. I make strong relationships. I'm in in my life. I build strong relationships. So, I'm putting it all together. Still,
1: I think it was last cycle. The D had the controversy about. Uh, whether or not they were staffing and hiring consultants that were diverse enough. Does the kind of push for diversity uh, fit your model right now? How much of a challenge is it to fight the disadvantages to being female and to take advantage of what minor advantages there may be in this moment of people trying to do better than they have in the past?
0: Well, I think it's, incredibly important to sort of demand the industry, create space, opportunity, pipeline, realistic expectations of how people in this business make make a living, managers and things. And so I think it was rightly deserved the need to say, if you're this big, if you're the quarterback of the game, you know, you got to like make sure you are inclusive. Secondarily, I think that women aren't really considered when we're talking diversity. Uh, diversity is almost exclusively race and culture diversity and not gender diversity, at least the experience that I've had so far. I think it's different in every lane. I think media is really different. I don't think there's been a push. I don't think anyone's been pushed out of media because they don't fit that bill. And I believe in the other the other mediums, direct mail, digital fundraising, phones, that kind of stuff. I think there's more opportunity, there's more work, the budgets are smaller, There, it's less, uh, it's less hunger gamey in those spaces. Media is an incredibly difficult corner of this work. And because I've built this network of women, lots of women have confided that they have never experienced such a misogynistic space as political media.
1: Is that just sort of the sharp elbows of competition? Or is that the type of individual that you know, succeeds in being able to sell themselves in a, I don't know, an ego-driven world or something? What's going on there?
0: I think if you are building a team and media is the most um, competitive because it has the biggest budget, usually, there's such a hierarchy in the firms. People think they need to hire certain firms because they've heard they need to hire certain firms. Um, And not really because quality of work uh, just because that's how this business works.
1: Name brand, sort of.
0: Yeah, Then, and they know that's that they're male partners or it's male-driven or whatever. Then they include the diversity, gender, and otherwise in other places. It's never made sense to me that women make up a majority of the voters in this country and men make the loudest tool to talk to them. The amount of calls I've been on where I have had to talk to the men about when women get their periods and when they're able to get pregnant and when menopause starts. So you can't use a picture of a 50-year-old woman when we're talking about choice. She cannot get pregnant. Like I've had these conversations <laughs> and Lord. It's because you're not you're not hiring the kind of person that can connect with those voters. And We just do it over and over again. This cycle's great. Lots of more women got into media this cycle. Lots of firms that have women partners and women have risen up to higher position in some of the older firms. So I don't know, maybe it'll change.
1: When you look around at the various media consultants that are thought well of or get those jobs, I mean, are there ones you admire? Who do you think's doing a good job? And are there ones that you think are really avoid? Do you want to share any feelings about your competition?
0: I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I think it's hard to share power and profit and voice. And we are a business that has a, a finite amount of chairs around a table. I have even written on my marketing materials, I was like, we believe you need to pull up more chairs. And if the table's not big enough, build a, build a bigger one. There is this theory that more voices complicate things. You know, you've heard that on conference calls, like, there's too many cooks in the kitchen. Well, that's if you if you narrow it down to one cook, and that one cook doesn't do it right, then your that's is not helpful either. Collaboration is about understanding what the ideas and what the perspectives are, and if you get rid of a bunch of perspectives, then you're going to have the wrong voice. So, I think there are lots of firms that that have commitment to getting better at that, to understanding voice. You know, Left Hook has grown a ton and have pretty diverse folks working there, and they've really integrated cross channel and. Declaration is new this cycle, and Meredith Kelly came out of Senacozar, so she's got a lot of experience, and Mindy Myers has a new firm. So the other part of this is media consultants don't talk to each other, really, because this, there's this fear of being friends that somehow you'll give away a trade secret, and then they'll beat you, which I just try to buck all the time. I ask them all out for coffee and drinks, and I'm like, I'm not trying to steal anything from you, but if we're having things that work, shouldn't we share with each other? Because don't we want Democrats to win in the end? Like you're going to get the work anyway, but let's talk about what's working for you. So it's a very sharp elbowed industry and, you know, let them have sharp elbows. So many people run for office. So many voters need to be reengaged. There's so much money in this business. I don't even mean business in the space. There's independent expenditures everywhere. Like we're all going to have a chance to talk to voters. So why wouldn't we all just lighten up a little But
1: If you're in a business where some people are sharp elbowed and some people are trying to get larger stakes of the pie and you're deferring sometimes to them or not pursuing for yourself, are you putting your business at a disadvantage?
0: Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I hustle like all of them. You know, I make all the calls and do the who's running for what and can I get on the list to pitch and all that kind of stuff like everybody does. What I have always wanted since the beginning is. To prove why I should be in the room and then when I'm in the room to convince whoever's the hirer to hire me. And I have plenty of opportunity now after doing this for 17 years to get in the room. Not every room. I don't need to be in every room and not at all levels and all that kind of stuff. But what I want to do is to help hardworking, passionate people accomplish whatever progressive goal they're doing. And I won't play their game to do it anymore. I won't play an existing game that doesn't fit me or who I want to be. At the end of the day, I know the person, you know, I'm almost 40 years old. I have children. I know who I am. I know how to do this work. I've found people I want to do it with. And that'll be enough.
1: One of the developments that I've been moderately tracking is more use of testing in the world of communication, more companies and technologies that allow you to figure out earlier whether something's working or not to what extent do you incorporate that kind of learning that's going on in the space or techniques that are going on in the space into what you do or what's your plans
0: yeah we have done certainly in the ballot measure side we do a lot of testing you know traditional ad testing not not like super traditional not dial tests anymore but online ad testing or online journaling that includes stimulus, either fully produced ads or half produced ads or concepts or whatever that is. And one of the great things about cross-channel persuasion is that you can, as you know, you can run digital ads and A-B test them based on engagement with the ad. So that can be difference in messaging or difference in how you deliver the same message to the same universe. Um, I think that'll happen more and more with rich text programs. I love when. Ads I make get to get tested in the Missouri Medicaid rates. Last time my firm just did digital, a Republican firm did the did TV, and we got to ad test like seventeen of our digital ads. So there is a real advantage to being able to do it, and we have engaged in it. And timeline is really important, as as you said. The one caveat would be to let perfect get in the way of good a little. That's a little nerve wracking, you know. If a, a group of experienced strategists say. I think we need to take this risk and deliver this kind of message in this kind of way. And people are like, Oh, we got to test it first. And then the moment has passed. I think there's a combination of fully vetting and also sort of bringing the expertise together and executing on, on, on experience.
1: There have been certainly cases where people have been surprised that they thought a well-made ad would do something and actually went the wrong direction. Like it backfired. And sometimes, you know, even the most experienced people can't anticipate the the way things land out there, right?
0: Yeah, I wonder how big the table was around the people making decisions about that well-made ad.
1: I don't know.
0: Maybe. <laughs> technology is a real advantage. Political technology has always been behind consumer technology in terms of voter communication or advertising. And, and to identify what's working and take corporate case studies and feel... Risky enough or brave enough to engage some of those new technologies. I mean, the other thing about campaigns, which is never, ever going to change, at least federal campaigns, is they open the door. 10 days later, they have to be running a fully functioning business. They raise it up to millions of dollars for the ultimate you know, store opening or restaurant opening. And then if they flap, they're done. And these people are, are raising this money $2,500 at a time. So you're like, I got a new idea. We're going to take a risk. They're like, you're out of your mind. I'm not taking a risk. And that's why to implement sort of innovative slash risky tactics, you need a real challenge. And that's what I was saying earlier, a place with difficult lives or split households or whatever it is, because you get to say to those people, you don't have to take the risk. That's fine. But you're for sure not going to win by going safe. And if you want to win, you're going to have to sort of trust the team that we that has spent all this time together.
1: Do you have anyone in the collective that you want to highlight?
0: Oh um, that's kind. So Sage Media, Janet Katowicz, who I've been buying with almost the, the entirety of um of my work doing this, she's amazing. Their whole team is amazing and have been incredibly supportive of this women forward operation and and are always willing to have lots of client time and, and media buys that make tons of sense and innovative for sure. Last cycle the committee was really um worried because we invested a, a huge amount into over-the-top television early on much more than any other race across the country. And after we spent many calls talking about the data and the strategy around that, they got on board. So she's been an amazing partner. Um, there's a general strategist out of Oklahoma, Amber England, who um, who is amazing to work with and very, very smart. And, and it's been such a pleasure to be able to be in this collective. Former Congresswoman Katie Hill and I are doing some work around her. So she has an organization called um, Her Time, and and she's working more in sort of candidate recruitment and training. And so we're working together on some stuff. So there is amazing women doing amazing work. And when we work together, it's, you know, it's better.
1: Does that sort of extend to like working with female pollsters, female digital strategists, et cetera?
0: (laughs) I try really hard. I really do try really hard. Whenever I'm asked uh, by anybody about who do you recommend, I I almost exclusively recommend women. And that's not to say that I don't think the men in the business do a good job. I just think the men are recommended more than the women. So I'm just trying to balance the scales a little bit. And yeah, like Jill Normington is amazing pollster who I've had the opportunity of working with, and she's so smart. And Annie Levine from Rising Tide. There's really, really smart women in all sorts of corners. Fiona Conroy from from Deliver is direct mail strategist, who I think is one of the m- most genius women in the business. So um It's really just to say that there's lots of really smart women getting a lot of work, doing really good work. And in 2022, if we do not turn out like 50% of female voters, we're sunk. So let's start getting the sensibilities of women candidates and women consultants in front of the sensibilities of women voters.
1: Sounds good to me. (laughs) Is, Is there a question that I haven't asked that you'd like to be asked?
0: There's another question that everyone loves to talk about, which is like, where do you think this industry is going? Certainly the media digital thing, which we've sort of skirted around. Um, I was a little surprised that a few media shops popped up that cycle that didn't really mention digital in any of their services in 2021. That feels um, unusual to me. And there was a big digital firm that brought on a media shop. So some digital firms believe that they'll turn into The TV shops, right? That digital become more powerful than television. And some television think television will remain the leading communicator. Like my dreamy goal is by the time everyone realizes that this kind of sort of collaborative, overarching connectivity and campaigns is the only way to win that I will have been doing it for a while.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's... uh... Kind of a fun and energizing thing to experiment with a different way of doing something especially when you, something you've been doing for more than a decade and a half and hopefully that'll you know extend your career a long time and make make a difference for democratic candidates so
0: i hope so and if if it doesn't work my plan b is making soap commercials i would be great at making soap commercials i'll just
1: making the commercial or being the spokesperson for
0: no Yeah, making it just corporate advertising, soap and shampoo. I would crush it.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, I kind of hope you stay in this space. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, thanks much. Uh, Anything else you want to say?
0: No, that's all. Thank you so much for having me. It was a really fun conversation. I appreciate it.
1: Fun for me too. That was Kelly Gibson. She's at strongerthancoms.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.